Hey everybody, it's Monday, February 1st, and that means it's time for another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia. We're really happy this week. Our co-host, Agnes Amos Coleman, is actually able to join us. Uh, her schedule allows it, so we're really happy to welcome Agnes back to her co-hosting uh, position. I'm Cecilia Sup, your other co-host. I'm the principal and founder of Rig Tulips, a nonprofit consultancy, and we also offer association management services. I want to throw it over to Agnes to say hello and introduce herself. Thanks, Cecilia. Good to be back to our global audience. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm an author and a consultant. Over to you, Cecilia. Great. Thanks, Agnes. So great to see your smiling face here this week. <laughs> and we're really excited to have uh, a first-time guest, Mary Beth Micucci, who is the Engagement Director at B-Dance. And she is going to talk with us today about a strategic approach to digital events. Uh, welcome, Mary Beth. Would you like to say a few words and uh, open up our topic? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, just a little bit of background about myself. Um, I grew up in the association world, um, working for medical um, IT tech groups, um, and uh, went into um, hanging my own shingle, if you will, uh, my little owned company. Um, and I now am working with an organization called B-Dance, and they do uh, digital events strategy for uh, nonprofits, for-profits, um, and really go in and help um, these organizations bring their, uh, meet their goals and objectives for the digital event world. Wow, that's fantastic. And such a hot topic right now with us all trying to stay connected as the lockdowns go on. Um, so, what have you seen, Mary Beth, as the biggest change when it comes to digital events? Because we were doing them before, just not as many. So what have you seen differently? I think the biggest change is the acceptance that virtual events is not going to cannibalize your face-to-face -face event. Um, that there is a need and an acceptance um, that virtual events will work. Um, and I think that has been the biggest um, benefit for the virtual event folks um, to really show that when you had to do it, when you had to get an event out, um, that this was the route to go and the members didn't, didn't um, say no and not to come, but they really did embrace this technology. Mm. Yeah. So Agnes, any questions? Yeah, I, I think another question that I have, Mirabel, is something that I've always grappled with even as a meeting planner is how do we then engage our audience uh, with digital events? Because a lot of planners, these are some of their concerns and that's why there's a reluctance in embracing it. But obviously we've been thrown into the situation that, uh, with, with a pandemic that we really need to start rethinking our thought process on this. So how do we engage our members on this platform and assure them that they're still going to get value out of it? You know, that's a great question. It's probably one of the biggest struggles I think it, um, folks have. Um, I think the first thing what I would do is when I'm looking at engagement uh, with the audience, I always think that it shouldn't be just a single point in time. This is the only event. We're gonna do this virtual event and that's it, we're done. There are opportunities to build up to the event, to do um, engagement techniques throughout the year, You know, maybe build it up three months out um, and then you're getting people either used to the platform or mm -hmm. used to being able to see each other on camera. Um, those things are 
a benefit, but I also look at the technologies. I mean, I think right now, Zoom seems to be the, which is what we're using, seems to be the biggest platform that has just just propelled during the pandemic. Um, and people are getting used to seeing themselves on mm-hmm. screen. Um, and they have some fun times with backgrounds and you know things like that. Those can actually, background changes can be one way to engage with your audience. I've recently did um, a happy hour, if you will. It was a networking event uh, that was in the evening and we played a game um, and you had to change your background to show what team you were on. And I thought that was such a fun way of just physically, somebody has to go in and figure out how to change their background and be able to play this game and, and do different things like that. So there are gamifications that are really good for networking. Um, the other thing is to, there are a ton of technologies, new technologies out there that can do really fun, um, almost like what we would call speed dating or speed networking, where you can meet people for a few minutes, maybe it's a 10 minutes at a table, and then you can ask everybody to jump to a different table. Um, and that this particular software I'm thinking of is called Remo, where you can go in and you can see everybody on camera, and then you can jump to another table and you can meet new people. Um, and that's been a really plus, I think, in the engagement component and trying to get more and more people engaged. It's being um, strategic, if you will, within what you want to achieve. Um, and, I, you know, and I, th- and I, one of the things I will say, and I, I say this a lot, is that you always need to go back to your strategy. You know, what do you, what is your outcome that you truly want from your virtual event? And then, then look at different opportunities, whether it's technologies, we, um, whether it's maybe you send your audience a gift basket ahead of time that they all open together on camera. There are a lot of different in- ways of doing things and there's costs that can be inexpensive and then there's certainly things that can be you know, on the high end as well. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point because I think as, as this lockdown continues, uh, you know, and, and we are all coming from completely different places right now. And I think mm-hmm. that's the wonderful side of it. But the downside is that lack of physical interaction, that lack of touching things. And so Michael Butera, who's a consultant with Association Activision, uh, is also part of our Rogue Tulips Networks, sends out in advance what he calls manipulatives when he is doing a training. Uh, it's very similar to the gift basket idea. Uh, I have talked to some other people who have had their exhibitors uh, basically do a gift packet, like they can put something in a box basically. And it's like going through the exhibit hall. And so you still get some of that, you know, some of that uh, interaction, that touch, you know, because we're not just visual and audio, you know, obviously we like to touch, smell, taste, things. And, uh, you know, uh, early, well, last year I was talking with some people who were saying, maybe we need to bring back that like Sentawama from the seventies where like you would smell stuff as you were watching the movie or mm-hmm. shake, you know, sensor round or like you shake or something like that. I love that idea of changing the background though, because not everybody knows how to use zoom. I was using zoom before zoom was cool. I was like, I had my own paid zoom account. I was saying to people, come on, get on Zoom with me. Oh, no, I don't want to be on Zoom. <laughs> you know, and, and then uh, I think, uh, and, and I, I got to wrap this up because I'm going on a little too long because I want to hear more of Mary Bestview. But, you know, it's, it's just this thing of like, I couldn't get anybody on Zoom and then everybody was on Zoom for things that maybe would have been an email and now everybody's got Zoom fatigue. Yeah. So with that big yeah. build up, Mary Beth, what are some of your views on Zoom fatigue? And, and is there a way, since we still need to look and see each other, 
is there a way to kind of alleviate that Zoom fatigue outside of don't use it? Mm-hmm. You know, I think my best uh, tip for eliminating Zoom fatigue is actually um, hiding your self view. Mm-hmm. I love it um, because you'll notice like, have you, you know, when you're on camera with people, you'll see people like fixing their hair <laughs> or you might see something coming, you know. And I think if you, if you think about when we were at a face-to-face meeting, you weren't like, oh, do I look okay? You know, what am I doing? You were just talking and you were being yes. your genuine self and you weren't self-conscious necessarily about what you look like. Mm-hmm. So I often um, hide myself view, which is, it's fairly easy to do. And you can, um, it just think about like, you don't usually stare at yourself in a mirror. You don't walk around with a mirror in front of you and talking to other people. So to me, that has been a really good um, way of doing that. Um, the other thing I do is sometimes I just pick up the phone and call people opposed mm-hmm. to getting on a video conference. Um, once in a while, it's just nice to be able to not have to worry, uh, what your background looks like or what you're doing. And, um, that's been a kind of a fun, I think about that as like going back to my teenage years when I was just talking to my friends on the phone all the time, I'm like, Oh, I'll just pick up the phone. It's novel. You know, and, and the funny thing is I've hidden myself and can't figure out how to put myself back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go. I found it. All right. Yes. You can do it folks. That's not a magic. Well, I I have another question, Meredith. It's actually not a question, but I'm just putting on my meeting planner hat here. And as you know, budget is everything for us as meeting planners, Uh, strategic approach to digital events. Where, what role does budget play in this? Because Uh, I know that this is the new normal for us, but we also have to look at what are the financial implications for us and our association or any organization, by the way, that we work in as meeting planners, or even if you're not a meeting planner, what is the budget implication? Well, you know, the budgets are, that's a huge impact in what you're, you're looking at doing. And I think there are a couple different things. I think this particular year, people accepted the fact that they were going to lose money um, mm. because they, whether their contracts for their face-to-face event failed and they didn't have the right, you know, uh, waivers or insurance, whatever that might've been, or that their sponsors dropped out that might go to a big exhibit hall. And, and you know, we can all see what the ripple effects have that, of that have been. Mm. Um, and I think many people thought they didn't necessarily have to spend a ton of money when you're doing a virtual conference. And, and I pause that a little because there are many types. You can have a Zoom conference where maybe you're just doing some um, sessions where you're doing, you know, having a presentation, a didactic presentation. Um, and just a side note, another engagement strategy would be to throw people into breakout rooms and really have mm-hmm. individuals work on projects and then come back and present those smaller groups are really impactful for an engagement component. So that's one way of doing it, which is a low cost event. I think there are other ways where you could do these big, huge virtual conferences where you have exhibit floors, you have um, education theaters, you have help desks, you might have social networking events. Um, Those kind of things can be more expensive and can be well into the six figures. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that when you, I think that, that to me, that cost of doing these bigger virtual events has been a big sticker shock, I think, for a lot of individuals, a lot of companies, because they weren't expecting, what do you mean it costs that much? Yeah. The reality is a virtual event actually costs less than a face-to-face event, but you're never going to have the same experience. I mean, 
being physically able to give somebody a hug, a handshake, when we can do those again, um, to be able to sit next to somebody, to have those hallway conversations, those are hard, those can be hard to replicate on a virtual event. Um, And as we were talking about the remote comment I made or going into breakouts can help with those networking things, but that budget component, which was what you're referring to, you have to really go back to your strategy and you have to look at, well, what is, what is my budget? What are my goals? Um, Is it, you know, is your annual conference or your event, your biggest revenue generator um, for your organization? And if it is, then you have to look at, okay, well, what can I do? You know, um, are there opportunities for some indirect revenue? Um, Maybe um, by having some lower cost virtual events, maybe you were able to increase your membership, maybe you're able to help retain your membership, you know, offering continuing education credit that might be needed within your organization. So I I always think that when you're looking at a virtual event, especially from a revenue component, is to look at the broader picture. Um, As many people probably do for your your face-to-face because that membership retention, um, looking at packages that you could do for um, your conferences, maybe the virtual is a little less expensive, but the on-demand might be an extra charge. There, there are a lot of different variables that you can look at to see where that goes. But from that budget perspective, it is a big one. And and I think looking at ways to, have, I've see, I have actually personally worked with organizations where we have partnered with um, the vendor, we have partnered with allied uh, allied partners um, to share resources, to share costs. Um, and that has, that has, I have seen a lot of benefit in that where it's not only you're sharing costs, but maybe you're sharing your audience and you're expanding your audience reach, um, which could have long-term benefits for your organization. Wow. That, that is a really great overview of what to consider with budget because so many people don't want to spend, but they want a great result. And one has to happen to get the other. So that is a great reminder. We only have a couple minutes left, Mary Beth. So I really want to hear your view on this question because it's been on my mind since 2010 when somebody threw together the ASAE Unconference in 36 hours, which was a streaming and in-person event that was in response to the snowpocalypse. That didn't grow after that. You would think it would have like, hey, we made this work in 36 hours. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion or view of the future of the hybrid event? Oh, I, without question, hybrid is the way to go. Um, and that's not just because I too know the 2010 uh, snow apocalypse. I was during one of my annual conferences. So, <laughs> and I happened <laughs> to have a hybrid event that year. And what was amazing was that all of the attendees who couldn't get in came to the hybrid, which was great. We had increased numbers. It was wonderful. But what I find interesting, and I've been looking with even some of my clients, is that many of my clients have actually increased their attendee registration this year um, to the virtual event. And I find that really interesting um, because, you know, the fear of it's going to cannibalize, which it it won't. But I think it's a new audience. Mm -hmm. I think that there are I truly believe that there are individuals who won't tra- who won't travel for whatever reason, um, whether it's a cost, whether they have to manage the office back at you know back at home, um, whether they have to rotate year to year. But to be able to offer individuals, your members, an opportunity to come to the virtual event um, and to be able to um, feel part of it, and I and I say that because I think that's a really key component 
to that connection when you have a hybrid event is that you want to not only welcome the virtual audience as your speakers might be speaking live at the state on a stage, but you wanna ensure that they are able to ask questions. You wanna ensure that there's some sort of connection. Um, so oftentimes if people have an opening reception that might be more of like a, a cocktail party, you could do a similar type of event for your virtual audience. So trying to make that, that connection for both audiences is really important. Um, and even having your, depending on maybe you have a mobile app that works for your virtual event, having your face-to-face -face audience interact with your virtual audience through chat or even a Zoom type of call, a presentation, that to me is going to be the ideal hybrid event as we move forward. And I think hybrid is going to be the wave of the future for a variety of reasons. One, we don't know when the pandemic is going to end. So for 2021, that's certainly something. But I think we're going to have individuals who um, might be fearful of coming to big gatherings in the future, might be fearful of flying again. Um, and you might have increased an audience that you want to capture and continue. So I really look at this as a ability to um, enhance your audience, increase your education, and ultimately, you know, which would be great is your revenue. Diversify mm -hmm. that revenue is going to be um, a key to success. Wow, that's, well, that's great. And, I, and I'm sorry to end this conversation. We're running a little over today, but th this has been a fantastic conversation, Mary Beth, and I hope you'll come back. I'd love to. And so we yes. can continue this conversation. It's wonderful. So uh, Mary Beth, what's your closing thought that you'd like people to take away? And then how can they get in touch with you if they'd like to follow up with you? Great. Well, my closing thought is something I, I said a little bit earlier, but I want to I wanna reemphasize this because I think it's incredibly important whenever you're planning a virtual event is that everything should be based on your strategy. You should do a strategy first. You should do talk to the stakeholders, um, the worker bees, if you will, that are going to be pr um, producing or um, have to get the exhibitors have to develop the education. Talk to those individuals, develop your strategy. And once you have your strategy, which would include your budget, then pick your technology. Your technology should always be the very last thing you choose. Um, too often we pick the, the technology first and then try to fit everything into that. Make that your last thing. There's so much, so many software companies out there that you can find something that will work for you. Um, and to get in touch with me, the easiest way would be to probably to email me. Um, certainly I'm, a, I'm on LinkedIn, but also a direct email would be mbmicucci, so that's mb. M-I-C-U-C-C-I at bdance.co, and that's C-O. That's cool, a .co as opposed to a .com. I love that it. is correct. Uh, yes. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Mary Beth. And then Agnes, uh, do you have a closing comment or a thought today? Well, first of all, let me just say great insight, uh, great topic. I think it's needed in this season of life that we're in, in this pandemic era and post-pandemic as well. And to our global audience, we want to just thank you for joining us, uh, wherever you're joining us from, evening, morning, afternoon. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. And Mary Beth, we look forward to having you back. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you again, Mary Beth. So, yes. And so on behalf of myself and Agnes and Mary Beth, thanks for joining us today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia. You can learn more about Rogue Tulips and how we can help your organization at roguetulips.com. 
We're also big supporters of the 501C League, which is a virtual organiz membership organization for everyone in the nonprofit community and the people who love them. Check out the league at the 501Cleague.net. The 501C League is a leader in supporting CAE development. So check them out. Uh, so we have to go rogue for now. So we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.